Welcome to the Imagination in Education podcast, produced by a team of teachers and students at LC Press. Our Liverpool-based homemade podcast is food for thought for educators, for students, and for anyone who is interested in using their imagination to make schools places of joy, discovery, and the development of human potential. Please visit www.lcpress.org.uk to learn more about us and our show. The opinions expressed on the podcast are those of our guests and presenters only. Enjoy the show and keep using your imagination. And welcome to the podcast. And today we're very honored to have Miss Anna Rothery, the Lord Mayor of Liverpool, as our guest. Welcome to the podcast, Miss Rothery. Thank you for taking time to speak with us. Can you tell us a little bit about what a Lord Mayor or Lord Mayoress does? Uh, well, it's actually Lord Mayor, and, and people get very confused because they say, why are you called Lord Mayor when you're a woman? Mm-hmm. And, and the simple reason is that historically it was always a Lord Mayor. And so there was a Lord Mayor's role and a Lady Mayoress's role. And my daughter-in-law is actually my Lady Mayoress. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah and my son is actually my consort. Yeah. So it's a little bit strange. We may change things going forward. Maybe it's time to look at how that actually works. But the role is for the Lord Mayor. And, you know, for me, it was a, a huge honour and privilege to be appointed Lord Mayor for the city. And, and probably more importantly so, being the first Black Lord Mayor of the city. And so it's a double-edged sword. It's a difficult period in time to be Lord Mayor for a number of reasons. First and foremost is COVID-19 and the impact that that's had on the city and communities in general. And then number two, in terms of the Black Lives Matters uh, movement. And so I've been very lucky, depending on which way you look at it, that I've been reappointed for a second year, which is also a first, I believe. I don't think there's ever been a Lord Mayor that's run and done two consecutive years back to back like that. But however, that, that is a really positive thing because that means that we're able to look at how we work, how we function as a city. Uh, what people may not know is that my theme for last year was equality for all. And that theme will carry over to this year, equality for all. And so that's about encompassing every faith culture, all of our equality strands across the board, whether that's LGBTQIA+, disability, gender issues, uh, race and religion and culture. And so it's a big ask in terms of the change in face of society. So it probably warrants a two-year period. It sure does. Now, one of the things we do on the podcast, and I think in some respects, some of the people tune in because of this. Uh, You're a politician, of course, and you're interviewed all the time. But I want to ask you to reflect a little bit on your own time in school. Because for our pupils and for us in the podcast, which is called Imagination in Education, we're interested in people reflecting back on their school, the good, the bad, the experience, what molded them there. Tell us a little bit about your experience of primary and secondary school. Well, I was quite ill as a child. I suffered from epilepsy. So my, uh, my school as an infant uh, was a school for children who had uh, illnesses, um, epilepsy, asthma, and also some more severe illnesses like cancer, etc. So my experience quite early on was very diverse and um, 
and children from all different backgrounds, which gives me a greater understanding, I think, in terms of, you know, people and their place within society from a very young age. And I was also really incredibly lucky to go to my junior school, which was a very inclusive school in terms of faith and culture and diversity. And so that also enhanced my understanding of different faiths and cultures and was was a wonderful experience all around. Within Liverpool, uh, we've got one of the oldest black communities in the whole of Europe and made up of many different faiths and cultures from Malay into Somali, you know, African, West African, Caribbean. And so I was very, very lucky to go to school and to grow up in that environment where it was such a big mixture different cultures and different backgrounds. My senior years in terms of um, school was, it was quite harrowing actually because I went to Paddington Comprehensive School. At the time it was ahead of its time in terms of the facilities that were available. It was second to none, it was a state-of-the-art school and children from Liverpool Ace uh, went to that school. And it was a mixed bag. We had some amazing teachers. Um, I'm really proud to say that my English teacher, Miss Witter, um, I still have contact with her all these years later. And she's still doing incredible work with um, young people. So she supports community organisations and individuals, etc. And she was also very supportive of me as a youngster and literally showed me that anything is possible if you, you know, have the attitude and the the focus and you put your mind to something so that was a wonderful experience but the other side of the coin was I also had another teacher who used to refer to the children as black specimens on a daily basis he was our science teacher and we used to laugh and joke about it but you know on reflection as an adult you know it was quite a harrowing scenario to be referred to um, on a daily basis in this way and he genuinely didn't want to teach there. He had no affinity with diverse students. He just didn't want to be there. And it was apparent on a daily basis. And, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that that's had a long-lasting effect on many of the people that attended that school because we still talk about it today as adults. And people still say, oh, do you remember so-and-so, the teacher who did used to, used to do this and commonly known for it? I mean, I think the overriding thing is that I had a thirst for knowledge and I wanted to learn. I wanted to take every opportunity to learn. So I kind of traded off uh, the difficult situations because I knew from a very young age that it was crucial that I got the best education that I could possibly get. It is a harrowing thing to hear that. Very good for our pupils to hear that. It would be so unacceptable today. Yeah. In truth, it would be a fireable offence. It would be considered gross misconduct. It would be yeah. so unspeakable that it would end up in newspapers, etc., etc. On the one hand, therefore, I suppose we could say, okay, it's gotten a little better in schools. On the other hand, of course, we're also experiencing the very real reality of ongoing racism in Liverpool, including in schools and society generally. Do you feel that progress has been made? And where do you feel that progress has been slowest? Where should we be focusing at the moment? And what can schools do yeah. in your experience and in your view to, to play a part? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's been some progress, but I still believe that there is a still a high level 
of racial discrimination that is allowed to go on within the school. And, you know, sometimes it's from other pupils, uh, but often it's also from teachers. And, and, and so that brings me back to uh, my thoughts is that, you know, teaching is a persuasion. It's not necessarily a profession per se because you have to have a great deal of commitment to the individual, regardless of their faith, culture and background. You have to have a real commitment that you want to educate everybody. I think sometimes people go into any career, not just as a teacher, and but especially teachers, because you have a great deal of responsibility with very young lives that are very impressionable. Um, but I think sometimes teachers go into the profession and uh, they carry baggage with them. They bring some of the isms that they have as part of their, you know, their norms and values and belief system. They bring it into the school, and um, and this has a negative impact upon pupils. You know, this is something. This is a learned behaviour, and it's very deeply embedded and ingrained in the culture and psyche of people. However, we have to be very clear that it's unacceptable behaviour. Uh, within the school, you know, from other pupils and from teachers alike, we have to draw the line and say that where this happens, it will be dealt with harshly. More importantly, we shouldn't get to the point where we have to deal with it harshly. We should be able to be open and honest and say that zero tolerance for that kind of behavior within the school. When you were at school, did you feel that the school had the same expectations and standards and, in a way, aspirations? for you as it did for all other pupils? And did the school generally have high enough expectations? I think the expectation was down to the individual teachers. I mean, as I said before, we had incredibly gifted teachers who had very high expectations from their pupils. And then we also had other teachers who came in and went, so this is the inner city area. You know, it's very diverse. You know, what can we hope to achieve with this particular group? And they brought those isms with them. So it was always a mixed bag. And so, you know, the thing is, is our good teachers were excellent and our poor teachers were really poor. Just, to, you know, as an educator, I'm, I'm fascinated by this because what was it about the teachers that inspired you? And you obviously, you're still in touch with one of them and they were there in your school. What do those teachers do? What do they say? Or how are they different that makes them so inspirational that you remember them and you're thanking them today? It's a combination of things, but I think the openness, um, you know, you have to feel as though you can approach a teacher if you're experiencing difficulties or, you know, maybe you're finding it difficult to grasp the subject and you just need to have that one-to-one and just flash out you know, some of the blockages that are there in the way. So, you know, there has to be an openness there. I mean, I was quite poor at math, <laughs> um, but I was excellent at logarithms. And so I sort of stood out in terms of some of the subjects and others I didn't fare as well as the rest of the class. But, you know, my experience was because I had that vigour and focus and I, and I was desperate to learn everything that I could learn. Um, that I never allowed anything to, to act as a barrier. So if I saw a barrier, I sort of navigated around it and didn't feel any way I was confident enough to approach a teacher and say, listen, can you explain this in a bit more detail so that I can understand what the expectation is from me? 
but you know not every student has that level of confidence to do that and we can see students become increasingly marginalized because they fall further and further behind because of that lack of confidence to ask for help or to even admit that they don't understand the subject and so that's why somebody being open and somebody who can, who can create an environment that is conducive for learning that is a, a crucial element i think for any teacher and that would be me one of the finer points that somebody would bring to the table is that ability to connect with the people okay we'll take a little break now we'll have some music and when we come back uh, i'd like to talk to you about the city of liverpool as lord mayor you know it better than most uh, you know what's going on in these COVID times. And I think that'll be very interesting for our listeners to get a little briefing from you about what you're seeing out there as you represent the city in a variety of places. Today's musical item is a song called Leave It Out, written and performed by a local band called Stone, in which our very own Mr. Elliot Gill, guru of reprographics, is lead guitarist. We hope you enjoy. Life. 
ourselves in an ocean of pain That's what I see, that's what I see Just leave it out We're back with Miss Rothery, the Lord Mayor of Liverpool, and we've been discussing her experience of education when she was younger. Now, if I can ask you, what do you think when you as Lord Mayor, and you, you meet so many civic organizations, you're constantly, you've been very supportive of our school, we've, we've seen you at some of our events that we invite you to, and, and are always very honored to have you there, but... When you travel around, what do you think are the great challenges facing our city? Some of the biggest challenges is that people tend to work in silos. And so what I try to do is to bring various people together. It doesn't have to be like-minded or similar professions. I think it's crucial that we, you know, we can build fair partnerships where people can learn from each other. I can work together in terms of making a better future, not only for our children, but also for the adults in the city. So I think when I travel around, I always tend to meet people who would fit really well in jail with somebody else I've met, who've got a similar concept or a similar idea. And it's, I think for me, a lot of it's about putting people together. And the people I tend to put together do tremendous things because often the only barrier is that you don't know who is the person you need to talk to. And because I meet so many people on a daily basis, and because they're very open, they open up to me and say, this is what I'd like to do. This is my vision. This is what, you know, I'm able to see where the similarities sort of cross over and and put people together. It must be enormously satisfying when that occurs. And at the same time, it's quite extraordinary. Here we are in the same city. We've got all this social media websites and all these ways of communicating. And it turns out you still need a human being to connect human beings to yeah. human beings. Human interaction, isn't it? Rightly, as you say, we've got social media. But, you know, we're only older children as adults. And we still have our fears about not sort of revealing what we don't know and, and, and not asking for a greater understanding of something that we'd like to know. So I think sometimes that one-to-one, um, you know, conversation you get more out of an individual than asking them to do a presentation about a project that they've got in their mind. And because it is very specific time around the meetings that I do, people sort of realise, oh, you know, I've got 10 minutes and I've got to, you know, make it concise and, you know, speak up, you know, within a, a lot of time about what it is I'm, I'm wanting to achieve. And I think what happens there, it takes the pressure away from people because it's very much sort of off the cuff. And uh, it's like uh, being in the dragon's den and saying, right, you've got 10 minutes to pitch what you want to do. And so I think what you get is a very clear and concise idea of what it is somebody's trying to achieve. And then when you hit a similar one, then you can actually put those people together. 
It sounds like Dragon's Den. It sounds like yeah. you, you're sort of on an episode of, of a civic Dragon's Den all the time. It must be marvelous. But tell us, this COVID disaster educationally, and we know that it's a disaster economically. We know it's a disaster socially. We're still, you know, at the time of recording of this podcast, we're very much in this thing. What will we all have to do? What are you seeing uh, recovery is going to look like? What are the additional challenges that we're going to face? Well, I mean, I think if we start with COVID and lockdown and the way people have responded to COVID and lockdown, it's been a very, very difficult time for everybody. Um, But I think what it's enabled us to do is given us that space, remove us from our hectic lifestyles, and allowed us to sit back and contemplate some of the big issues internationally within society. And so I think it's enabled us to sort of tap into our emotional intelligence and to think clearly and concisely about changes that we'd like to see happen within society. We've had that space to do that. I think we've had a great groundswell in responses of people who've been very caring. We've looked after neighbours and individuals. Our young people have been at the forefront. They've been tremendous, made an amazing contribution to society. And we've seen the volunteers rallying around, feeding people, getting prescriptions for them. And so I think that it's been an opportunity for our society to gel, to get back in touch with uh, our feelings um, as well as our aspirations. So I think in terms of recovery, economic recovery, that is at the forefront of everybody's mind. It's going to be a slow and arduous process. You know, it's not going to be magical overnight. I mean, I know, for instance, the City Council has spent a great deal of money and is is looking at a huge deficit at the moment as we speak in terms of providing services going forward. But I think in terms of the one thing that we have in the city that sets us aside from most is our visitor economy. But even that's going to be a slow process, trying to get people to come back and visit the city. I think it's enabled us to book the trend previously in terms of other economic difficulties nationally. I think Liverpool has fared quite well because we've been able to generate this constant stream of income. But, you know, for us, you know, it's going to be a great deal of time before people feel confident to come back and visit the city. Um, But what we have seen during lockdown is I've been working with two of our companies two businesses that have literally repurposed what they do in order to do work um, in, in that, you know, in that period of time when there was nothing um, to be done. So working with Relish Company and for Zenda Restaurant, who both repurposed how they worked, uh, we set up um, The Hungry Must Be Fed, which is a food hub, and they provided the food for us, and for Zenda provided funding of £400 a week so, you know, those wheels, those cogs of industry and commerce are still ticking away in the background, albeit they're having to approach things differently. But, you know, they didn't stop. People think that everything came to a standstill. It didn't come to a standstill because people were preparing in this period in time for the future, preparing in a way because we knew that COVID was going to change how we do business forever. You know, we had to look at how we do business going forward in a completely different light because the impact is going to be so massive on the economy. And so, you know, those at the forefront, those are the businesses that will continue and be successful are the ones that use the downtime to look at how they future-proof their business and how they can quickly get back into stimulating the economy. 
Wise words from Xander Rothery, the Lord Mayor of Liverpool. I've, I've got a final question that I love to ask guests. I invite them to give advice to their younger selves, uh, which by extension on this show is uh, a little bit like giving advice to the 1,538 children that attend our school. You know, when you look back and you, you've described, you know, your hunger to learn and your willingness to focus on the good in the school in a way, despite some very harrowing things you shared with us. What advice would you give to your younger self? What would you now say if you could talk to Anna Rothery, age 12, 13, and say, look, from what I know now, this is what I would focus on? I'd have probably gone into politics at a much earlier age. I quite naively thought I could transform the, the base of politics in the city within a 15-year period of being an elected member. With hindsight, I should have come into politics a lot earlier because it, it's a longer journey in terms of the changes we need to implement. Um, but also, I think, I mean, I was very, very lucky in terms of education because I became a student again after you know school and GCSEs, and then I was able to do an access course to law, access course to sociology and psychology. And then after that, we had a wave of European funding where we had literally every piece of education you could ever wish for was free, you know. So I was able to lap up all of that learning and it didn't cost a penny. Unfortunately, now it costs a small fortune. You know, I think I would just set out your stall quite early on, you know, commit yourself to learning at least something every couple of years. Don't ever sort of stop pursuing knowledge because... We live in a constantly changing world and just keep on board and do something different. You know, I'm a firm believer in lifelong learning and I don't believe that you're ever too old to learn something. So I think I would just tell myself to just keep doing that, basically. Thank you so much, Anna Rothery, the Lord Mayor of Liverpool. We wish you and the work of the council and the city all the best. And thank you for your service to the city. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. We appreciate it. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast and we thank you for listening. More information and material can be found on www.lcpress.org.uk. If you have an idea for a podcast or would like to contribute to the show, why not email us at editor at lcpress.org.uk. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LC Press and Imagination in Education. See you next time.